0: Hey everybody, you are listening to A Smart Guy, A Dumb Guy podcast. I am your resident nerd and smart guy, Johnny Morrison. And with us, as always, is our co-host, musician, filmmaker, dumb guy, Christian Serge. Yes, I am
1: that. Hey guys, each week and for now, the next 23 minutes or so, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, and politics from both the smart and dumb point of view. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for listening. It's kind of encouraging to hear people like liking the show. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm really happy <laughs> to see that people are listening and liking the podcast. Leave us a review because even if you hate the podcast, we want to hear from you. And if you like it too,
0: yeah, I I would prefer you to leave nice reviews <laughs> and maybe just like tweet at me mean things. Yes, that's a better for the algorithm, I think. Yes, and you can find out where
1: we. Uh, tweet, and Instagram on our websites at the end of the show.
0: That's right. Let's jump into the conversations today. Let's do. So for our very first chat, I chose an article that is uniquely in my wheelhouse. This is from um, unheard.com, and the article is about the end of Western secularism. Yeah, I unheard this
1: article as soon as I heard that title.
0: (laughs) Fair, totally fair. Totally fair. Here's, here's the general gist of the of the article. So, for a long time, but really post the Enlightenment, the West has believed that religion was going away and an era of secularism was dawning. And that at some point the whole world would be secular, meaning non-religious. Um, there's a few different definitions of secular in philosophy, but really what they mean is non-religious. But what this argument of this article is saying is that it doesn't reflect what's happening around the rest of the world. That if you look at um, like Narendra Modi in India and the rise of Hindu nationalism, or you look at um, Erdogan in Turkey, or you look at Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, each of them are reflections of a religious nationalism and a resurgence of religious nationalism that is actually pushing against an older world order of secularism hold on one second because
1: i i literally feel like you're intellectually bullying me now <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't want that and and i mean i know if we do what the president say we should just like uh ignore it and then bullying doesn't happen right like uh-huh. if we ignore let's be best let's be best but i hold on back up boil sure. just boil down the idea of what secularism is because you know i i am a mm-hmm. christian and when i think of secularism i think uh, anybody who's not Christian. And I know that's sure. not the right definition. So
0: what is it? Sure. So there's there's a few different ways to think about it. And one is, um, like a cheap version of secularism would be to say there's secular music. So like Kanye West is secular. I guess not anymore. Um, Kanye West is secular and someone like Lecrae is a Christian artist, that's Christian. And those that's secular versus Christian. Okay. The argument that this is making is seeing secular as... Um, That there is less space in the social world for religion. And that instead of it being a religious culture, it is a non-religious culture or a secular culture.
1: Because I read through... Okay, I I think I see what you're saying. You're saying there's less tolerance for religion now than there ever has
0: been. Well, no. (laughs) No. What the article is saying is that people believed what you just said is what was going to happen. That people would just generally become less religious. That the more educated we became, the wealthier we became, and the more Western ideals spread around the world, we would become less religious. Mm. But what we're seeing reflected back to the West from countries all over the world is a rise in conservative religion. So, the three examples that I gave were um, Modi, in who's the Indian Prime Minister, is a Hindu nationalist.
1: Is he the guy that that took that building that was formerly a government building and now is like
0: uh, is like making it a temple to like Lord Rama? Yes. yes, okay. yes. So yes. so he's established he's taking away what was originally secular artifacts and making them religious artifacts. In huh. India, when they removed Britain, and Britain gave up um, power over India. India established itself as a secular nation, and Modi is establishing it as a Hindu nation. And the same is true in Turkey, where the like modern founder of Turkey, Atatürk, established Turkey as a secular nation, but Erdogan, the current prime minister, is establishing it as a Islamic nationalism. And the mosque um, Hagia Sophia just reopened as a mosque, not a museum. So it's a similar thing that was happening in. India. It's hard for me to say Turkey and not think of the bird.
1: Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's inconvenient uh, connections between the two. Sorry. That was actually trolling. I'm sorry. I ever, you know, again, every time there's a four or five sentences with four or five Uh syllable words, I start to kind of go sideways, but I think I'm following you here. Uh, This uh, religious focus has happened in India. This religious yep. focus has happened in Turkey, and it's happening in other countries as well,
0: which we, yep. we didn't expect. Yes, that's exactly the point, is the kind of the myth of the Enlightenment was that the world would become less and less religious. Mm. And all of a sudden, it actually looks like it's becoming more and more religious. Why? Man, that is a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. What do you think?
1: Well, I, I think you know a couple episodes ago you were talking about uh, the stories that we find compelling mm. or used to find compelling. We don't find compelling anymore. The story of whether it's Jesus or whether it's the, the latest YouTube video. And so we're gravitating to more deeper and darker conspiracy theories or deeper and darker cults or religious mm. gatherings or religious followings. So maybe there's some of that in there, the idea that we are searching for something more compelling, a story that's more compelling, a, a building that used to for 500 years was a temple. And now over the last 300 years has been you know, destroyed by government agencies, mm-hmm. that nostalgia of bringing it back there and believing in something bigger. I, yeah, I, you led me there. You led me there just now.
0: <laughs> I think that's totally true, though. There's a the the article from Unheard, one of the points that he makes in the middle of it is that this is a wake-up call to the West because our story of like financial gain, of economic power, of military muscle, well, it's kind of atrophying. And so too with it is this notion of like quote unquote secular states. And people I think are exactly what you said. They are going to the religious narratives that have given life meaning for so long in the face of a crumbling and what appears to be kind of empty narrative.
1: Religions historically in other countries seem to frighten Americans. (laughs) That's, that's very true. And, you know, I've visited over 41 countries and worked in probably 30 of them for extended periods of time. And I would say go somewhere and see Mm -hmm. other countries and see other religions and the, the comment was historically other religions scare people. So is this going to be uh, uh, seen in the, in America as bad, as fearful, yes, as a threat?
0: I I think I think in a lot of ways yes. I do think it's interesting that the conservative evangelical movement in the United States has found some um, like ground common ground with Erdogan and Turkey, which you would never have seen coming in some ways because Erdogan is uh, Muslim. Often Christians have been really antagonistic towards Muslims in the United States and abroad, but there's some common ground with Erdogan in his conservative agenda. So in some ways you're finding some interesting um, like coalition building, but I think overwhelmingly you're right that we will see that as scary and we'll demonize it and we'll other those additional religions around the world and it will be used to fuel our against them kind hmm. of narratives the idea that
1: there's us and them. Mm-hmm.
0: This article for me was
1: so hard to read. So if you, if you identify with the dumb guy, don't read this article. This is, <laughs> after the second paragraph, I actually had to really focus and stop just for a minute and go, okay, Johnny's a smart guy. I'm going to understand about 10 words in this paragraph, but you're boiling it down for me. I, I think that it's probably a good thing that we're getting back to our roots and religious gatherings and that we're seeing this shift, Mm -hmm. I don't view it as a fearful thing. I think that religions bring people together. I think extreme religions are not helpful
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to the idea that we should love each other, that Mm -hmm. that some religions or some parties, a lot of religions point to the other, and I hope that doesn't happen. In this article, though, whenever you say Erwan, I, I think of the,
0: like the last airbender in like Avatar. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> which, which is very hot right now. Very hot again. It is. Yeah. What you just said made me think of two things, um, which is like, what does this mean for the world around us? And the first thing is, I think people in the United States have been arguing that religion was disappearing for a long time. Um, and we've always been predicting it, like that religion will die, Christianity will die, all religion will die. And I just don't think that's true. Mm. I think that we have to kind of face the reality that every time we think it's dying, it's popping up somewhere else. So there's now more Christians in the rest of the world than there is in America. And you can say that's bad, you can say it's good. That's not the point I'm trying to make. It's just that it doesn't die. It just shifts and moves. Yeah, you know, I, I actually think you're right.
1: Uh, I went to UNLV back in 1994 University of Nevada Las Vegas and I had his history teacher and I did horrible as far as on my in my tests and everything but he liked the fact that I disagreed with him but one thing he taught me he said you know Christian it doesn't matter what the government puts on us for rules or laws. There will always be an underground belief structure. And there will always be people putting together conspiracy theories and cults and beliefs and coming together. And I think that maybe there's a link to that. Maybe it's a stretch here. But Hmm. the idea that religions are always going to be there. We want to believe that there's something bigger and better. Mm
0: -hmm. That's totally right. We want to hold on to something that is sacred and mysterious that gives meaning to the universe around us. That's exactly right. Speaking of
1: mysterious and holding on to something, uh, I read an article in the BBC about when will we get back to normal. But before we do that, last words.
0: Last words. One, I don't think religions are going anywhere, and we should stop predicting that they are. <laughs> Spoken from the Reverend. Yes. That's me. Preach. That's me. I'm always going to have a job. Um, I, I, that actually I don't believe. I might not have a job, but I think religion will still be yes. here. That's a different conversation, though. Two, though, I think you said something that's really important, which is that we find religion scary. And I think we use religion as a scapegoat for the, the, the way that we want to blame people, the way we want to hate on people, and the way that we are watching the world that we built, fundamentally, as Americans, mm. unravel. Yeah. And we want to call people radical terrorists or radical um, religious extremists. And what we're actually seeing is our own story unravel, and that story give them hope, and we use that to scapegoat them. Wow,
1: is Bill Gates a radical religionist?
0: i I don't know how to respond to that question. <laughs> is, is he Scientology <laughs> at the heart? Is he
1: Bill Gates Scientologist? I don't know what he is. I just when you say, you know, like radical extremists, that word can go into so many different categories religion and politics <laughs> and sure. hunters, you know, extreme hunters or extreme everything. And and I think that cloud's what what really matters for sure. Mm-hmm. In this article that I read about uh, holding on to something, something that we've been holding on to is this pandemic, the government, the world, people, and we're getting tired of it. And I was asking the, the question the other day, when will this end? And a lot of people were like, oh, I think it's over. I think it's a hoax. I think it's this. I think it's that. And so I started digging in. What do people think is going to happen in the next six months, in the next year? Hmm. And then what will the normal look like? Because when I think of going to a Broadway show in New York City and sitting in this little cramped seat that's made for a 12-year-old and sitting next to four
0: people I don't even know, uh, mm-hmm. I just can't
1: see that ever happening again.
0: Can you? Hmm. Mm-mm. No, I, I agree. It's, it's hard to imagine.
1: In this article, uh, Bill Gates, uh, whether you like him or not, he has some interesting things to say. He said, I believe that we'll be lucky uh, to have this end before the end of the year. He believes that in 2021, that a, a number of vaccines to be on the market is likely, but it might take a couple of years to get herd immunity and all that kinds of, of, you know, things that they're talking about. And I don't know, that sounds really depressing to me.
0: Yeah. Do you think, um, do you have any, like, as you think about what happens with COVID-19 over the next year or, or whatever, how do you imagine the world moving and changing? Do you see us getting normalized in 2021? Do you see things getting worse, staying the same? What do you think? Well,
1: I think that we're gonna see a lot of people continue to uh, be polarized. There's kind of a careless spectrum and a paranoid spectrum and everybody kind of fits in it somewhere along that line. I had a friend today say, well, we're much more close to the careless section than we are the paranoid section, but we're not in this probably the safe section. And, Mm. um, And then I have another friend who's like, this has all been a hoax and you know, COVID deaths are going down. It's just, a, it's just another flu. So I pulled up the article, and interesting, there's a graphic here. It's updated August 18th by the U.S. Census Bureau, National Archives, Library of Congress, John Hopkins University. And it compares COVID-19 deaths as of August 18th. And they have beat every flu since 1918. So hmm. any kind of flu season, COVID deaths are greater since 1918. And I think that's very telling. And we're Mm -hmm. only about uh, 400,000 deaths from the Spanish flu. Mm. We're sitting at 175,000 deaths from COVID. (sighs) I don't like this thing. I don't see us getting back to normal for the next couple of years. I see, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I I don't have a whole
0: lot to say other than that uh, Bill Gates might be right. It's interesting, I... Was reading some articles about the SARS outbreak in Asia and how Asia changed. Now it's it's you can't compare cultures, you can't compare government responses, but like they changed fundamentally as a people and how they operated. Masks became ubiquitous, and when COVID hit, masks were already ubiquitous. People were already wearing them pretty consistently as a response to the SARS outbreak. And so it's just an example of saying like, here is this change that saturated into the culture, became a, a large like landscaping change about how they interact, about masks or some other things that were changing about restaurants, about seating, like lots of things changed just after SARS. So it's hard not to imagine similar kinds of changes happening after COVID 19, that people will always wear masks. People will always be hesitant to sit together. Like the way we touch will always be a little bit different. I think about it with um, gatherings when COVID first hit like two or three months into COVID. I was thinking that people really missed gathering together, especially at church services I think that if we keep doing this any longer, I don't think church attendance will ever return. And I don't mean this negatively. Like, I don't think that's like a bad thing. I just think people will be so used to not having to do this like regular gathering anymore. And they're so accustomed to like live streaming and the way life can look separately that I don't know that we ever return to a normal or pre COVID kind of church attendance. This is one example that I'm more familiar with. How long is it going to take for when you cough or sneeze for people
1: not to just go? Oh, COVID or, Oh, my droplets, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's going to stick around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I also can't see a gathering uh, to be normalized in a long time. However, however, I think it's important to point out that we couldn't see that life could look like this. Mm -hmm. You know, I work for a a company that uh, had over 300 employees and 117 of them were at one office and now, after COVID hit, there's 17 of us. There's 10 percent mm-hmm. back, and everybody's working online, and we're thriving as far as we've made the switch. And um, mm-hmm. so right now,
0: their their response is we may never get back to full yep. capacity because this is working. Yeah, and a lot of large companies are, are saying the same thing that like no one is intending, no one is thinking that we're going to go back because this seems to be working. Live streaming seems to be working. Working remotely seems to be working. So I think these are like permanent changes, or at least long-term changes that mean that 2021, 2022, there isn't a, there isn't a, a return to normal. There's an adjustment to new normals. Mm. And I don't know that some of those things ever return.
1: But what about us extroverts who just want to go out and hang out with people?
0: Uh, that's a place where I do think something will return. Mm. I, I think that the need to be together At some way is so important that it'll. It maybe will shift and change. Like people are having more dinners, people are hosting people more in the backyards. Like we've done that a lot more because we can, you know, somewhat safely gather in a way that we couldn't at a restaurant. I think we'll just see some adjustments to how people gather, but that needs to deep. Extroverts will get their fill. I think. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I I like
1: people. I like to hang out with people. I like to be around people. And so this has been a a really a real challenge for me to follow Mm -hmm. the guidelines and even want to follow the guidelines. I would say that if I didn't have the help from my family, I would be on the careless spectrum and and that probably wouldn't bode well. I think, you know, people would look at that as, uh, you know, you don't care if I get sick, which I do care if people get sick, but
0: I, I don't know. I don't mind wearing a mask either. So there we go. Yeah. I I think the, probably the best posture to have is we can't predict what unfolds because of COVID-19, but the things that are true about humans we will find ways to do. We'll find ways to be together. We'll find ways to do community. But we may not do church the same way we did. And we may not do sports events the same way we did. We just, who knows? For the last
1: words for me, I would love to see each and every one of us have some kind of aspirational goal to take our finger pointing and point it back towards ourselves and go, how do we do this together How do Mm. we break this together? How do we meet together? And how do we do Mm. it safely? And trust each other in that.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think similarly I would say I hope that we can, in the midst of the difficulty of this moment, and it's been really difficult for so many of us and so many different people in so many different ways, but that we could to exactly what you just said, we could imagine what life can look like together. Mm. What can a life that's like less divisive, one that is rooted in the local one that is connected, what can it look like? And then what do we do to get there? Absolutely. Well, thanks for
1: joining us today. That ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Read these articles. Well, maybe don't read Johnny's, it's really crazy. (laughs) No, go ahead and give it a look. We'll put the link in the description. Come back again next week if you like our conversations. And please continue to have conversations on your own because that is what's important. Yes. Hit subscribe, give us a review, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.